Well, good morning. It is so good to see you guys this morning. We're glad that you are here to worship with us. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're here to worship with us also this morning as we finish up a series that I know has been a little hard for sure. So I just want to start this morning by saying thank you. Uh, We've been in this series that we've entitled Real Life, Real Pain for the last several weeks and I am, don't do it, don't do it. I know where you are going, Eric, I'm gonna get you for this too. Don't do this. Don't do what? Don't do this. I'm just here to tell the story. Can I tell the story? Which story? I don't, I, I don't, I don't think so. First of all, how does this thing work? There. It doesn't work, that's why I use that one. Okay. It stays at that height. Not today. I have something heavy in my hand. I'm going to tell a story. You stand there. Okay. Is it a story about earlier today? Earlier today. When you told me that you didn't think I should preach the sermon I was about to preach? No. no, Not that one? No. Okay. No. No, no. No, this is a story about debt. You're preaching on debt today, right? I was planning on it. Okay. Okay. Well, this is a story about debt. Oh, goodness. Roughly 15 years ago, about 15 years ago, I think he was a junior in high school. It was Father's Day, and I stood up to preach. I got a few lines into my sermon, and, uh, and then next thing I know, here he comes up on stage, right? Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. 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 And he said, yeah. I'm going to preach for you today. He'd worked it out with the elders and everyone. Does this sound real loud to everybody? It sounds real loud to me. I don't, I don't know. I'm up don't here. Know. Okay, they got it back there. They say I'm good. Okay. Okay. Anyways, he came up, preached, he made me sit down. So I went and I sat down, and two things came to my mind. Number one, how proud I was and how much I love my son. But number two was I'm going to pay this boy back one day. (laughs) So after 15 years of being in debt to him and owing him a sermon. There you go. Is that your Bible? Take your Bible. You're done. (laughs) Go sit down. When, when I pray, you can come back up. I'll let you take over from there. Oh, you got a countdown timer here. Oh, I better roll. Okay. We're running late. Okay, so for the last few weeks, Will has been talking about those real life, real pain uh, series. And so I want to continue in that, although not with the same subject that Will had planned for today. But it is Father's Day. So considering it's Father's Day, thinking about us as fathers, you know, there's what is it that causes us real pain? You know, and the obvious answer is our children. It causes us a lot of pain. But um, I, I think it goes deeper than that. I want to talk about a pain that, that all of us have felt at some point or another. And a pain that is deep. A pain that can sometimes really hurt. And that's the pain that comes from families. Real life Real pain comes from the families. I heard somebody say a long time ago, and I mean, they were absolutely dead on. They said the greatest joy, the greatest blessings, the greatest excitement of life is going to come from your family. And the greatest pain, 
heartache and suffering is also going to come from family. So this morning I want to talk a little bit about that. I, I looked up uh, the definition of family in, in the dictionary, and, and I want to broaden this out because I want us to understand that it's not just our immediate family. Uh, the dictionary had like 10 definitions for family. But when we think of family, we immediately think of, you know, our, our spouse, our kids, our parents, brothers, sisters, our immediate family. But, but families are more than that. I want us to think uh, a little bit broader. Because you have your immediate family. Then you get up in the morning, you go to work, and you have your work family. You have uh, your co-workers. That's kind of a, a family there. And then maybe you have a hobby. You, you belong to a bowling club, and your, your bowling club is your family. And then, of course, we come here on Sunday mornings, and we have church. And this is your church family. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, we meet here. And it's family. So when it comes to real life and real pain, some of the, great, the greatest source of joy is the same source for our greatest pain. Paul saw the problems of a, of a divided church in Romans 14. But before we get to Romans 14, we need to spend a little bit of time talking about a guy by the name of Claudius. Claudius, Tiberius, Claudius, Caesar, Augustus, Germanicus, to be clear. I don't know, we talk about him all the time, right? Okay, well, maybe not. But we find that he had a problem with some conflict among the Jews in Rome, and we find that he kicked him out. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 and 2 says this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, where he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Okay, so here's what we've got going on in the church in Rome. The church had started, and as we most of us know, it was kind of uh, started from a Jewish faith. So you have a lot of people who were Jews who recognized Jesus was the Messiah, and they have a deep, rich history in the Old Testament, the Old Testament holidays, Old Testament religious uh, observations. But then the gospel also spread it to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles had zero connection with the Old Testament. So the situation we find in the Roman church is that the Roman church started with a lot of these Christians who had a connection to the Old Testament, and, and they were in positions of leadership, and they were dominant in the church, and you had a few Gentiles. And then Claudius comes along, and he kicks them all out, and now you have a predominantly Gentile church. A lot of the, the Jews, well, who they were Christians at the time, but they still have Jewish faith that they had to leave Rome. 
Then sometime later, about three years later, uh, the edict for those for the Jews to be kicked out of Rome was eased, and a lot of them came back. So now you have a problem. You have a church in Rome that is strongly divided. You had a lot of people who were strongly connected to the Old Testament, and then you have a lot of people who just have no clue about what's going on in the Old Testament. So you have a divided church. And in Romans 14, Paul talks about how to get along with one another. And these principles we see here on how to get along with one another, they don't just apply to the church family. They apply to our immediate family. They apply to our co-worker family. They apply to any family group that we belong to. Romans chapter 14, verse 1 says this. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. He begins this issue by saying, you accept others. That word accept is more of a welcome, a literally a, a welcome into your home type situation. You welcome people and you ignore the disputable matters, which most everything is. And he goes on from this basic principle, and he gives two examples. The first has to do with dietary regulations. Romans 14, 2 and 3 says, One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So you see, we have a, a, this is a clear connection to our Old Testament friends and our Gentile friends. The Old Testament had very clear dietary regulations that a lot of these Christians still continue to hold on to. There were foods that were clean and unclean. One of the primary ones was, was pork. I mean, the last thing you would find any decent, self-respectable Christian doing would be to go to a barbecue with a pig on the grill. I mean, no Christian would do such a thing. That's to the Old Testament people who held on to that faith. And it was very, very common that if, if the Old Testament Christians, they went out to a meal, they didn't know what was being eaten. Well, then they would just stick with vegetables. No, thanks. I'll pass on the meat. Just give me vegetables, please, to make sure that their dietary regulations were, were, were good. But to the Gentile Christians... They had no history with dietary regulations. They said, bring on the pig. Let's go to that park barbecue. We got no problems here, buddy. But Paul says, this is a disputable matter. Don't worry about it. The next issue that we find is that regarding of holy days. In verse 5, Paul says, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Again, this is a contrast between those Christians of the Old Testament uh, background and the Gentiles. The, the Christians with an Old Testament background, they're used to observing uh, these special days like Pentecost and Passover and the Festival of the Tabernacles and other uh, uh, Jewish uh, Roman or Jewish holidays and certainly the Sabbath day. 
Gentile Christians, they, they don't know anything about that. They don't. One day is the same as the other. There's no difference between a Sabbath day or a, a Passover day. They're all the same. This is something that perhaps uh, uh, some of us can identify with a little bit more. For those uh, older folks in the audience, uh, like myself, we remember a day and a time where Sunday was special. Even Wednesday night. I mean, it was unthinkable. Unthinkable. For a little league game to be scheduled on a Sunday. Or a Wednesday night. It didn't happen. We also remember a little thing called Blue Laws. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, Blue's Clues? No, 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 no. Not Blue's Clues. Blue Laws. I remember a time when I was growing up where on a Sunday, the only thing was open was maybe a gas station and maybe a grocery store. Everything else was closed on Sunday. Law said stores had to be closed. So we recognize you know, that there was one time where there were special days. And so Paul's looking at this, and you got two groups of people. One who's deeply tied to the Old Testament uh, rules and regulations, and another that has no difference. And what I think is interesting about this, which, which I really don't understand is that he calls those who are tied to their religious rules, these are the weaker Christians. I guarantee you, if Paul was speaking to me, I'd be one of the weaker Christians. In a church family that is so strongly divided between Old Testament and, and, and those of the, who have no connection to the Old Testament. He says these are divisive issues then they're disputable issues. They don't matter. We accept one another from both sides. So much of, we, of the stuff we fight about today falls into this disputable matters issue. Stuff that doesn't matter. Politics, economics, gun control, immigration, uh, drug legalization, assisted suicide, freedom of speech, so many other things, they don't matter. Now, don't get me wrong. We should have opinions on those things. And it's okay to have strong opinions on those things. But it's not okay to fight with people about those things. We invite people into our homes. He says, accept one another. Welcome them into your homes. Welcome them into your lives. People who have different opinions on these things that really don't matter. So be it your immediate family or your church family or your co-worker family or your, your bowling club. We welcome one another who don't always see things the way we do. And that's the first step in, in dealing with real life and real problems that come in real families. And the primary reason why we struggle with this area so much is because I think we focus on ourselves. I want to do what I want to do. I, I, I want everybody to believe what, what I think is right what I believe takes priority over everything else. 
And Paul is very quick to point out that that in a family, in, in any family, any relationship we have with another individual, the focus is not on us. The focus is not even on them. The focus is on Jesus. Paul continues in verses 7 and 8. He says, For none of us lives to ourselves alone. None of us dies to ourselves alone. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. It's not to ourselves that we're in community and in family. It's not about ourselves. We don't live for ourselves. We live for Jesus. We live in a community or or a family with a variety of people with different backgrounds and different experiences and different opinions. And in order for there to be successful, positive relationships, we have to put the ego aside. And we realize that it's not about you. It's not about what you think. It's not about what I think. It's about Jesus. Think about this for a minute. What is the root cause for you to be mad at somebody? I mean, we, we've all been mad at people. You may be sitting there and I've talked about being mad. There may be people coming to name right now. But wh- why are you mad? It all comes down to the same reason. The exact same reason. Let's just kind of think about families and, and run through some possible scenarios. Why, why, husbands, might you be mad at your wife? Maybe your wife spends too much money on a dress. Maybe she just doesn't clean the house the way you want her to clean your house. Wives, why might you be mad at your husbands? Maybe you're, yeah, yeah, I hear the uh uh-oh. It's coming. Don't worry, we're going to hit most everybody here. Why would you be managing? Maybe they spend too much time on the golf course. Too much time playing video games. Maybe they're always spending money on on new tools and new fishing poles and, and new shotguns that they don't need. Parents, why would you be mad at your grown children? Maybe... Maybe your grown children, they, they grow up, they, they get married, they move off, and they have kids, and they stubbornly refuse to move home, and they make it difficult for you to see your grandkids, and not to mention any names, Will or Hannah, but they just kind of make it hard for you to see your grandkids. Who knows? Maybe they have friends you don't like. Maybe, who knows, all kinds of things to be mad at your grown children. Grown children. Yeah, I I couldn't think of any examples why any child would be mad at their parents. I, I just can't think of anything why they would, but who knows? They might. Coworkers. Coworkers. Oh, there's a hundred reasons to be mad at your coworkers. Maybe they get involved and, and mess up your plans that you're working on. Maybe they're constantly berating you in front of the boss to try to put you down and, and make them look good. Your bowling team. Maybe you, you, you just need one of your teammates to make a spare to win the championship and they can't do it. And you get mad at them. And then, 
we come to your church family. Yeah, the preacher never preaches the right stuff. Doesn't visit like he should. All kinds of reasons to get mad at the preacher. Let's not focus on the preacher. Let's, let's, uh, don't forget the elders, Sunday school teacher, just random people across the pew. I've been in church a long time. Trust me, people get mad at one another in church. And so I have to ask the question what's the root cause? Why is it that people get mad at one another? All those examples I gave, and probably every example you can think of, it all comes down to one thing. The same thing. You didn't do what I thought you should do. Or maybe you did something that I thought you shouldn't do. I'm the standard. I'm, I'm, I'm the rule. It's not the scripture. It's not God. It's me. I'm the one who has determined what the standard is. You violated my standard, and therefore I am mad at you. Every one of those is because you did something that I thought you shouldn't do. There's an old phrase that I've heard for many years. Who died and made you boss? Who died and made you God? You know, the, the, I think the maddest my wife ever got at me was when Will had his first car accident. We're sitting, we're, we're, we're about 15, 20 feet from one another. The phone rings, I pick it up. This is all that Lynn heard of this conversation. I said, hey, how are you? Are you okay? Where are you? I'll be right there. Click. And I dash out the door. I didn't say one word to Lynn. Didn't think about it. I just got up and ran out the door. Needless to say... Um, yeah, I kind of got in a little trouble when I got back. Um, yeah. Uh, but basically, I did something she didn't want me to do. But that doesn't mean it wasn't justified. She was 100% right. I should have handled that differently. Just because you get mad at somebody doesn't mean you can't be mad legitimately. But just remember... The heart and core, the, the main reason that you are mad with somebody is because they didn't do what you thought they should do. And you are not the judge. Paul tells the divided Roman church that it's not about you and what you think someone should or shouldn't do. It's about Jesus. And because it's all about Jesus, we don't judge. Paul builds on this truth that we belong to God and that it's not about ourselves because of what we, because of that, how could we possibly judge someone else? In verses 10 through 12, it says this, but why do you judge your brother? Or also, why do you despise your brother? 
For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will, con- will praise God. So each one of us will give an account concerning ourselves. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. Whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. Judgment is left up to God. It is not left up to us. So in this heavily divided Roman church, we find Paul's divinely inspired direction to live in tolerance with others who hold inconsequential opinions and ideas contrary to what we believe and remember that it's not about whether our opinions are right or wrong. It's about living with others and focusing on Jesus and not ourselves. When we focus on Him, it becomes more difficult to judge others for what we think they should or should not be doing. And then the key to all of this lies in this next verse. The truth is that we are emotional people. We, we often act on these emotions, and it's these emotions that, that lead to conflict. So Paul tells us that the key to po- strong, positive relationships is more mental than emotional. Romans 14, 13. I'm, I'm going to read this in two different translations because I want to make sure we understand this. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Make up your mind. It's a mental Decision. That's what it says in, in the New Living Translation. Same verse. It says, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide. Decide instead to live in a way that you will not cause any believer to stumble or fall. It begins with a mental decision. We're going to make a mental decision that we're going to decide that we are going to live in a positive relationship. We're not going to put anything in front of anybody else that's going to hinder their relationship with God, to kind of cause them to to struggle or to cause them to fall. Successful relationships in the family are based on a decision to make them successful. A decision to uh, you make to be an encouragement to someone else instead of a downfall to someone. A decision you make to be a help and support for people in your family rather than tearing them down in order to build yourself up. And this is hard. This is hard work to allow our minds and that mental decision that we're going to be a support to others to take over and override our emotions. Because let's be honest, things happen. Things happen and in the heat of the moment we get mad because they didn't do what we thought they should have done or vice versa. And it begins to get at us and we sometimes forget that we made a decision that we want this to work. And it takes hard work. The Bible tells a story about a guy who had some family problems. 
And he was willing to make a sacrifice to make it work. He's a, he, he had all kinds of problems in his family. In fact, he, he really felt like his family was just continually treating him like a slave. Do this. Don't do that. Go over there. Do this. And it just kind of felt like he was living his life as a slave. And the reason that he felt he was living his life like a slave was because, well, he was a slave. A slave by the name of Onesimus. And one day, Onesimus saw the chance to run. And he took it. And he ran, and he ran, and he ran, and he became a runaway slave. And at some point, after he had run away, he came to Christ. And when he met Paul, we don't know if he came to Christ through that relationship with Paul or before that, but somehow Onesimus and Paul came together. And we can only assume that in this conversation between Onesimus and Paul, Paul probably told him, Onesimus, you know you need to go back. You've, you've, you've got a problem in your family, and you need to go back. And, and we know this because Paul wrote a letter to Philemon. Philemon was the, the slave owner of Onesimus and sent the letter with Onesimus to go back. And he encouraged Philemon to welcome him, not as a, so much as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. Onesimus was literally taking his life in his hands in order to heal a broken family relationship. He made the decision that I'm going to go back and risk whatever it takes to heal that situation. It's hard work. Really hard work. Real life, real problems. Real families of all shapes and sizes have real problems. Unfortunately, it's not uncommon for those family problems to be the catalyst that kind of leads to a lot of the other problems that Will's been talking about. A lot of them start in the family. Family problems are something that every single person here faces to some degree or another. And on the one hand, the the solution to those family problems is as simple as making a decision. It's a decision that you will not put a hindrance or a stumbling block before anyone else in a family. It's a decision that you will not make judgments on on mute issues, of which most everything is. It's a decision that life is not about you. And this relationship is not about you. It's a decision that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and He is first in your relationships. It's a decision that you are part of a family be it your immediate family or your work family or your bowling club or even your church family, and you will support that family. It's a decision that you realize 
that the only reason you get mad at somebody is because you're making yourself the standard by which everyone else should live to. And you have no control over what anybody else does. So there's really no reason why you should be mad at anybody. It's a decision that you are going to quit being God and making everybody live according to your rules. Of course, you're not going to have the perfect family overnight. And you might not even have the perfect family in a few years. And you might not ever have the perfect family. But it all begins with a decision that you're going to put forth the effort that you're going to do your best to serve God and make him first and let that be reflected in your family. And who knows what changes could come about when you decide you're going to put God first instead of you being first. Who knows what's going to happen when you stop fighting over the disputable matters. I'll bet if you put these principles to work, sooner or later, you'll see changes in whatever family it is, changes that you would never believe would ever could have happened. Lord, we are thankful for families. We're thankful for, for parents and for children. We're thankful for brothers and for sisters. We're thankful for, for co-workers. We're thankful for our club members. We're even thankful for the people who sit on the other side of the pew. And we're thankful for a God who is merciful and kind and loving. A God who understands that we struggle sometimes with family. And we're thankful that you show us grace and mercy. We're thankful that you help us with principles in your word to have better relationships. We're thankful that you are always there as we're facing real life and enduring the real pain. Lord, as we, as we prepare to come before you, continue to remind us that you have given everything, everything, to give us the tools that we need to find peace in our families. And that begins by having peace with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.